to Add Bible, an audio daily devotion from the Ezra Project. We join Alan J. Huth as he shares Bible passages and comments from over 30 years of his personal Bible reading journals. Today we are in Matthew chapter 17. We'll listen to the recording from Faith Comes by Hearing of the 27 verses of Matthew 17. Matthew 17. And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others? Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, 
Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. As I was preparing to comment on chapter 17, I thought about the word transfiguration. So I got on my iPhone and I asked Siri what the word means. And according to Siri, the word transfiguration means a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. Well, that's a cool definition. And uh, in my ESV Bible, my footnote on transfiguration says, Jesus' physical transformation was a reminder of the glory he had before he became a man. So then it begged another question to me, and that is, is the word transfiguration ever used outside the Bible? So I asked Siri that question too. She had a little bit more trouble answering that one. When I think of the word, I can't imagine that the word transfiguration, a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state, could be used in any other context than with Jesus in the Word of God. Now Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, his brother. So the select three got to see this incredible event. They also got to see Moses and Elijah. And then they got to hear the voice from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. None of these guys were there when Jesus was baptized. They didn't hear that first booming voice out of heaven. So this had to be an amazing experience. And look what happened to him. It said, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But then Jesus came, and he just touched them. He came and touched them in their fear, and he says, rise, have no fear. And then he tells them something incredible. He says, tell no one what you just saw. Are you kidding me? What they just saw was amazing. And now he silences them and says they can't say anything to anybody. What he actually said was that they couldn't tell anybody anything about this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So you remember that in chapter 16, we kind of made a turning point. Once they all realized he was the Messiah, now Jesus begins to share more and more that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, that he's going to be raised from the dead. Just a few verses later, he also says, So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So the Gospel of Matthew is beginning to shift. Now that everybody knows he is the Messiah, he is now on his way to Jerusalem to pay the price for sin. And he's beginning to explain this little by little to his disciples. In verse 22, he carries on with the theme. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And the chapter ends with Peter going fishing. I wish paying my taxes was as simple as going fishing, catching a fish with the coin in his mouth that paid for all my taxes. Actually, the tax collectors of the two drachma tax were not government tax collectors. They were religious tax collectors. According to my English Standard Version Bible footnote, 
it says that the annual census, each person over the age of 20 was to give a half shekel offering for the support of the tabernacle, which was later applied to the temple. The religious tax collectors approached Peter, the disciples' leader, rather than Jesus himself, perhaps in deference to Jesus' esteem as a popular teacher. So this tax is really not a government tax. It's really more like our tithe or our offerings to our churches. And you'll notice here, too, that whether or not Jesus thinks he owes the tax, he pays the tax because he says in verse 27, however, not to give offense to them. We, too, should willingly, joyfully support our churches financially. I wrote in my journal in 2016 about this issue of supporting the church financially. Don't offend, pay. Now, I realize that some argue about whether the tithe is an Old Testament concept or whether it applies to the church in the New Testament. And for my own life, I've just decided not to argue about it, not to worry about it, not to think about it, but just to do it, to obey what I believe the Scripture says, and that's pay the tithe and offerings which are above the tithe. So Terry and I have paid the tithe for many, many years. We tithe to our church. And then we also give offerings to other ministries that we support. For example, we support the Ezra Project on a monthly basis, as well as other ministries. Those are offerings that we freely give. So our practical application out of Matthew chapter 17 might be, how do you feel about giving to your church? Do you think the tithe is still applicable in the New Testament church today? Do you give cheerfully or do you give begrudgingly. After you get paid, do you write the first check to your church, or do you wait to see if you have anything left after you've paid all the bills for that pay period, and then see if you can give anything to your church? Remember here in this chapter that Jesus probably could have made a pretty good argument that he didn't need to pay a temple tax to the temple that was built in his honor, but he didn't argue about it. He just paid the temple tax. So it might be my encouragement to you, whether you believe in the tithe or don't believe in the tithe, don't argue about it. Just pay the tithe to the local church. Lord, help us understand giving. Help us understand the very principle. This passage did not have to be included in the Bible, but you put it here to remind us that we shouldn't be offensive. We should be joyfully supporting the churches that we attend and be thankful for the spiritual blessings we receive from the shepherds who shepherd the flock that we participate in in our local churches. Lord, thank you for our churches. Thank you for our pastors. And thank you for personal provision that you give us so that we can give back to our churches. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.